Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're in episode 247. Glad you could join us. We've got a bit of a smaller crew today, but we do have a few topics we want to cover. So let's get started at the top of the list with introductions with Zell. I am Soraya Zell, and um, um, I, I, I had nothing planned for that. Um, I am a, uh, I am a co-host here on the show. Um, previously incredibly reliably here, now occasionally here, um, and um, that's it. All right, and Jay. Yeah, hey, my name's Jay, and if you've ever wanted to uh, hear what it sounds like when uh, Zell talks to girls, you just heard it in his intro. Uh, so, oh, oh, <laughs> such oh, savagery! Off the top rope with a chair and a roll of quarters. Oh, he's God. already dead. He busted wide open in the corner. I think he's going for the figure four. Oh my God, he's talking about right there in the middle of the ring. Yep, and that's how this podcast is going to go tonight. Yeah. I have yeah. that in my bones. <laughs> All right, and uh, I'm Pokey Draven. I help host the show, and I deal with giant batteries hanging on your garage door wall or whatever. Uh, that was my day today. I was dealing with uh, Tesla and Elon Musk and his stupid batteries. But anyways, we have some good topics. So, Zell, uh, the Oscars, your friend Oscar whatever yes. what what happened because i don't follow that shit at all apparently uh they got it fairly close to the three hour mark which i guess was a big goal for them this year so congratulations to that um no i just I, you know most of it i don't really care about um there's there's plenty of uh of drama about uh the the best picture winner and uh who should have been the best picture winner allegedly and all of the people's opinions about the best picture and and this and that uh, which has nothing to do with with our topic, so so we're just going to move on. Um, one of the things that was notable, though, is uh, that Black Panther did very well um, this weekend. Um, it was uh, nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, um, and it won for Best Costume Design, Best Original Score, and Best Production Design. Um and then I guess the the notable point is that Black Panther is the first superhero film ever to receive a Best Picture nomination, um, and the first film in the MCU to win an Academy Award. So uh, it kind of did well in in breaking that uh, that barrier for um, for for the genre of movies here. Um, and then, of course, surprising nobody, the best animated film was, of course, the Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Duh. There was really no contest there. I'm like, Incredibles yeah. 2 was, was was good. Ralph Breaks the Internet was good. Neither of them were on the same tier. As and so um yeah, that's that's my uh our our you know superhero franchise uh you know summary of, of the Oscars. Is uh ah, shit, what's the next one coming out? Um Captain Marvel. It's yes. in like a couple when, weeks. Is is it out or is it coming out in a couple weeks? In a couple weeks. Oh, okay, okay. It's like March sixth or something, right? Like early, uh, early March. Yes, for makes sense. Yeah, it, it, I, I don't follow this stuff anymore. I'll probably see Endgame and just have someone give me the cliff notes on on uh, Captain Marvel. But uh, yeah. But anyways, uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's good to see that you know at least that sub sub genre, I guess, is is able to kind of you know break into a a pretty entrenched uh, uh, award ceremony thing there. So that's, that's pretty cool to hear. So moving along real quick, uh, real brief mention, 
The Division 2 is getting an open beta. It's running from March 1st to March 4th, so that's this coming weekend. Um, it's got a little bit more content than the closed beta did, so it's going to have one additional story mission. So there was two in the closed beta. There will be three in this one. Uh, they're adding an additional skill that you can play around with because you, you couldn't use all the skills in the beta. You could just, I think it was like maybe three or four out of like eight. They're adding another one, which is the chem launcher, which is kind of like a, a sticky foam launcher where you spray out like this this foam and it like immobilizes enemies. It's pretty cool looking. Um, they're increasing the level cap to eight. There's, again, five side missions. You can go into one of the dark zones. There is a uh, instance PvP mode, the skirmish mode, and you can uh, roam around in the open world. So I'll probably give this one a shot again to see if they've updated um, any of the glitches I was seeing before. I had a, a patch download for the beta like yesterday. I think it was like 26 gigs, so it, it was pretty sizable. So I imagine there's quite a bit of stuff in there. Um, but yeah, we'll be giving that a shot this weekend, and I'll kind of get back to you on my thoughts on how that goes. Because the first first one was kind of rough. Like, it wasn't bad. It was kind of glitchy, kind of rough. Um, so we'll see if they've made some improvements to some of the issues they were having and, and get back to you on that. Okay, so I, 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 well, I mentioned this last week, but I kind of wanted to give my, my review of Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, so just kind of as a background, I've played... I think almost every single Kingdom Hearts game that's come out, the ones that I missed mostly were the cell phone game, just because I don't tend to play a lot of cell phone games and just it wasn't clicking with me. I, I played a little bit, but not nearly enough to get the whole story. Um, and then there was also another mobile game that came out. And it was like Japan only, and I just I, I wasn't getting into those. But I've played pretty much all the console ones, all of the handheld ones. So I've, I've got a pretty robust um, background with the, the, the series as a whole. And so Kingdom Hearts 3 is meant to be kind of the end cap to everything that's come thus far. It's not the final game in the series. They're going to continue on. But in terms of the story arc they were telling and, and the, the threads that were going on, this was meant to be kind of tying everything up into a neat little bow and kind of putting an end cap on this particular chapter. So it took, like, God knows, like 15 years to get there, but, you know, that's what this game was out to accomplish. So when it came out, I was eager, and I, I got it for Christmas, actually, so I was pretty excited. Uh, it finally came out, and I, I played through it. So I wanted to give my thoughts on, you know, if they were successful with what they were trying to do and, and how that went. So I'm kind of unpacking this. I'm going to kind of go step by step through the different kind of elements they had. So um, one thing I had mentioned in my initial thoughts was the combat. Um, one of my biggest complaints was that it was a little over the top. So in the previous games, a lot of it was you're running around, you've got your sword, which is the keyblade, um, and you can cast magic and there's, there's, you know, summons you could do every so often or, you know, forms where you could, like, transform and pull out, like, a, a second keyblade and kind of do this dual-wielding thing. It, it was really cool. Um, and, and Kingdom Hearts has always kind of had a a flighty, floaty combat. It's never been really high technical precision. It's a lot of, you know, mashing the same button. But it's always kind of meant to be more of a flashy, not-so-much-skill-based, but just kind of it, it looks cool and it's enjoyable to play. And, and for the most part, it's always been, always been like that. Um, and that's fine. That's kind of its identity and how it presents its combat. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just that's what it is. Um, Kingdom Hearts 3 takes this pretty far beyond what it has been at before, though. So one of the kind of core mechanics of combat is form changes, and basically each different keyblade you get has a different form change. So 
as you do damage with it, you can press this button, which changes it into something else. So instead of it being a sword, it might pull out like two big claws that you attack with or a spear or something like that. And then as you do more damage with that, it kind of changes again into a different weapon. And then that kind of builds up to a big finisher move that does a ton of damage and, and, and looks really cool. Um, so that in, in concept is fine. But the thing is, is that it triggers that form change like super quickly. And you find that you spend like 80% of your time in these form change modes, which doesn't seem so bad. But a lot of them are kind of goofy, um, which you might expect in this kind of game, but when you're having kind of like a big pivotal combat moment and you pull out like these two giant, you know, cartoon claws and start wailing on someone, it, it feels a little out of place. Um, and, you know, it, it, you got more used to it over time, but I kind of would have preferred if they had kept it more with kind of the combat you saw like in the Birth by Sleep game or Kingdom Hearts 2. I think they might have gone a little too far with that, you know, floaty combat, but... It is what it is. You kind of get used to it, but I still think it was a little over the top and they could have toned that down. Um, that being said, that the gameplay itself feels really smooth. It's very responsive. Um, my only complaint is it was really easy, too. I played on the hardest difficulty available right now, and it was still really, really easy. And sort of doing stuff like um, shutting off leveling or, you know, there's like artificial limiters you can put on your character to make it harder. Um, I didn't want to take it to that extreme, so I didn't do that, but just like the normal gameplay felt a little easy. So, they, you know, it, it's always been an easy game, but this probably took it again kind of too far. Um, so the combat wasn't bad. It was just not as good as previous titles. Um, now, the Disney Worlds, now if you're not familiar with the Kingdom Hearts series, the whole idea was that Square Enix wanted to mesh kind of the themes and some of the characters from Final Fantasy games with Disney. And so what that turned into is you basically have these, um, you have like a, the main cast of characters and they run around with Disney characters and they go to different Disney worlds and kind of solve problems. And the idea is that you're bouncing from these different worlds to kind of tie together this overall narrative. And you'd have um, Final Fantasy characters kind of sparsed um, within those worlds, just kind of as cameos. They weren't usually pivotal to the story, but they were there to kind of be a cool reference. Um, it's kind of weird that in this game there was zero Final Fantasy characters whatsoever. Um, there's like the main the main characters, the Kingdom Hearts specific characters, but there weren't any characters from other Final Fantasy games, and that was that was kind of a bummer because I always liked that. Like, who are you gonna run into in this one? Um, so that was kind of a shame. I'm not really sure why they did that, but that is what it was. Um, but the worlds themselves, the Disney worlds themselves, um, really well crafted. Like they're they're gorgeous. They look fantastic. I played on PS4 Pro. It looks amazing. Um, and particularly in some of the cutscenes they do, like the the way they've taken like a shot by shot scene comparison of recreating moments from the movies as moments in the game is really impressive. Like it's it's really really well done. Um, special props to Pirates of the Caribbean world. Like that's really really good looking um which is kind of cool because normally most of the game is very cartoonish but you go to the pirates of the caribbean which is obviously a live action film um and they make all the characters look more realistic so instead of kind of being this white fluff ball of a duck for donald duck you actually see like individual feathers on his skin and that sort of thing so it they they, they, they tweak it to make it fit into that world and it works really really well the way the characters are animated the facial expressions really really solid they did a really good job with that um now when it comes to story structure of 
the worlds, it's a it's really inconsistent experience. So I think there's like eight Disney worlds in total. Um, and some of them follow the plot of the original movie, like pretty well point to point. Like you could pretty much kind of, it's kind of a quick rush through the whole plot of the film. Um, and your character and his companions are kind of just tangential participants. They're just there and they're interacting with some of the things. And there's minor changes to make, have it make sense. But for the most part, you're, you're kind of rewatching the film as you play through it. Um, that's fine. That's how it, it normally is. Um, and then there's some other worlds that deviate like super far from what the original source material was doing. So like Toy Story, for example, um, really cool world, but as far as I can tell, it has nothing to do with the films. It doesn't, it doesn't fit into any of the films, not telling any of those stories. It's kind of like a side story. What if, you know, this happened? Um, not that it was bad. Um, it was just inconsistent between them. And then there was also other ones where it was almost like a direct sequel to the original movie. So like Monsters Incorporated, it was, it was definitely what happens after the film. Um, all of these aren't bad by any means, but it, uh, it was just, it felt kind of weird going from one to one and you kind of get a, got a different experience each time rather than them sticking to kind of one way of, of telling that story. So it was inconsistent. Um, not a huge deal breaker. It was just, it felt a little jarring cause it was like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing this now. And then it was like, oh, I guess we're just gonna play through, you know, the plot of the film. So, um, that was a little weird. Um, as for the content also super, super inconsistent in how it was paced and how it was structured. So some of them you like fly through it. You're, you're in the world for like an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours. And you just hit all the plot points and, and you're done with the story. So like the tangled world or like big hero six, I felt like I was barely there. Like you go in, you kind of do a little mini game, you do like two encounters and you're done. Um, and others were like extremely like they felt, I, I didn't actually check the time on how long it took me in there, but they felt really, really long and, and, and really involved. So like Pirates of the Caribbean, it, it touches on a couple of plot points from the movie. And then it opens up into this giant like open world thing where you're in a pirate ship and you've got like naval combat, kind of like you had like Assassin's Creed and you're, you're, going around to different islands and exploring the islands and getting treasure. And it, it's really robust. Like it was actually really awesome. It was probably my favorite world, the Disney ones. Um, and I felt like I was in that, that world forever. Um, it just, it, just, it really um, went on. It was all really well constructed. So <clears throat> like they, they were, they were well, well written in how they were done, but again, just inconsistent on, you know, what kind of experience you got from each, each world. Um, it almost felt like they wanted to make all of them kind of the same scale as like Pirates of the Caribbean um, because some of them were kind of somewhere in between and maybe just didn't ran out of resources or something and just didn't finish it or didn't, didn't, didn't make the final cut. But it, it felt like they had this goal of like this really big expansive world for all of them and not just not all of them really made that mark. So that was again, kind of inconsistent, and a little frustrating because you can see you fly through some and I'm just like, Holy crap, we're done already. Um, and others were, 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 were pretty involved, which is, which is good. Um, so just overall, there was, there was a lot of pacing issues. And, and again, I, I'm not sure the exact amount of time I spent in each world, but you definitely felt, um, like some are much quicker than others and in how it feels is, is kind of what's most important. Um, I will to give credit though, every world is absolutely packed full of content. Like I'm, I'm speaking, if you just go straight through the story, um, 
you know, there's some pacing issues. But if you actually go back to the world and kind of dig in, there is a lot of stuff to do in there. And a lot of that stuff is is different, like little mini games or little side missions. It's it's stuff that usually branches away from the core combat loop, core story loop. Um, but to, to credit there is that they managed to actually pack in a ton of different kinds of experiences. So, you know, like in Frozen, there's like this... 1080 snowboarding thing where you're going down and trying to collect and do tricks and stuff. Um, in Winnie the Pooh's world, there's like a match three mini games in um, Big Hero 6. There's like this free running thing. Like it's all over the board. Um, and that's, I think, a really cool thing because it all feels like it makes sense in what you're doing, um, which I can always appreciate. Like Near Automata is a good example of a game that can pack in a lot of different types of experiences into a single game and it doesn't feel disjointed. It actually all kind of feels like it meshes together really well. Um, and I think that's really the case in here. They, they use the different themes of each world to put different experiences in and they all feel like they make sense in that world, um, even if they are totally different genres from one another. So that that was really good. And I'll give them good credit that, you know, if you're looking for just spending a ton of time, you can really dig into these and there's lots of stuff you can work on and unlock different treasures and that sort of thing. Um, there's there's certainly no shortage of content in the world. So that's, that's a really good thing. Um, the second, I'd call it the, the final act of the game is kind of the Kingdom Hearts specific worlds. And these are ones that are not Disney worlds. They are worlds that are specific to um, the world of Kingdom Hearts, kind of the overall overall narrative of what's going on. Everything kind of comes and in, in climaxes in, in this this act. So um, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, mixed bag on that one. So like I said, a good chunk of the game happens here. There are some really cool and visually appealing and really fun encounters and scenes and and they really you know they make it very fun and exhilarating like it's kind of this like final mad dash to the finish and it's a big spectacle and it's it's really cool i really liked it that was that was really fun um however the some of the story choices were a little weird and kingdom hearts is an absolute mess when it comes to the story and you need like no joke the game comes with like a five-part movie that you can watch, and it re-explains what the hell happened throughout the series because it's so confusing. Um, so, you know, I, I won't I won't deny that that the story's all over the place, but the ending in particular felt really strange. So, I feel like a lot of the choices they made were fan servicey for the sake of fan service, where it's like they wanted to just make people happy by introducing this element or this character. And it didn't really make sense to what was going on. It it it, all, it really felt like um, they had like a particular end state they wanted. Like we want the end of the series to look like this with these characters and these things that happened. And they just weren't really sure how to get from where they were to that point. And so there's a lot of really loose explanations. Like you've always had to kind of suspend your disbelief for Kingdom Hearts to kind of just enjoy the story. You can't think too hard about it. You really got to do that at the end here. They don't really explain why these things happen. Just, oh yeah, that's that's what it is. Um, and so again, you kind of have to suspend your disbelief beyond the normal, which which is a little a little difficult, honestly. Like it didn't ruin it for me, but it was just kind of like me shrugging, like okay, I guess, you know. And so that that was that was a bit of a problem, um, and, and it just seems like they just kind of like ex machina everything together because they're like, ah, uh, we want to get to this particular scene, so we're just going to throw this all together like this. Um, so yeah, that was that was frustrating. Um, 
but you know, overall, I, I think that what they were what they were trying to do is they wanted to wrap everything up and kind of have a message they wanted to send at the end. Um, the the path to get there was a little a little rough at the end. Like I said, it, it, they had to do some weird stuff to make it work. But in terms of the goal to wrap up the whole story and make it feel like this is the bookend, this is the end of the story, um, and we want that to feel satisfying, were they successful? Yeah, I think so. I think they did a pretty good job at it. Um, like It was rough, but they, they did it. And I wasn't left with the usual frustration at the end of the Kingdom Hearts game where they like to answer two questions, then add five more um, because they wanted to have this endless ongoing cycle of, of plot holes to fill. Um, it felt like they really were trying to wrap up all of the stuff into one neat package and, and say, that's it, you know, we're, we're, we're done. Um, there are a couple loose ends that they, they very clearly intentionally put in or left there because they want to use that to, to kind of lead the path to, you know, Kingdom Hearts 4, whatever's coming next. That's fine. It was, it was enough that it felt like a reasonable, um, plot thread that, that you've, I'm like, okay, that, that's fine. I'm not frustrated by that. I, I'm, I'm intrigued, but not frustrated. So that, that's good. Um, so I think they were successful what they were trying to do with, with the story at the very least. Um, so overall, was it a fun game? Yes. Was it satisfying? Yes. Um, but it definitely has its flaws. It is certainly not the best Kingdom Hearts game that I have played. I would say that if I was ranking them, you know, from best to worst, Kingdom Hearts would probably be like right in the middle. Like it's it's a very average Kingdom Hearts game. And I, I think that a lot of the frustration from players is coming from kind of the phenomenon where if a game is in development for a really long time, um, expectations kind of creep up. And it, it probably wasn't up to what people were hoping it would be. That being said, it's not a bad game. It's just not a great game. It's it's It, it was good. It was worth the time. Hey, Pokey, real quick. So yeah. this, I want you to save that last thought for the last five seconds because I'm sure we're going to have that exact same conversation again in a little bit. I'm sure. I'm sure we will. <laughs> I, do, I have a couple questions for you about Kingdom Hearts, if you don't mind. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so I, I fully admit that I, I have never been on the Kingdom Hearts train. I've never uh, done a whole playthrough by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I am very familiar with kind of the game world and kind of and, and sort of why it's attractive to people. Um, I, I guess my overall question is, other than a Kingdom Hearts, like if somebody like me who's like new to the franchise, right, like I've never played before, what are the attractive things about the game that I might like? Um, and I guess, you know, when you say, hey, it's an average Kingdom Hearts game, there's only three, so this means it's it's like literally like number two on the OML or what? Well, there's, I think... I think there's 13 Kingdom Hearts games actually because there's like there's like yeah there's there's three main titles because this is this is Square Enix we can't just have you know 15 Final Fantasies there's actually like 60 of them because there's the ones that come in between um so yeah it, there's there's like almost like a dozen or so Kingdom Hearts games um between mobile and handheld and the main console titles um yeah there's there's quite a few but this is in the middle so I'd say it's like you know six or seven probably in the list of, of best. Okay. Now I got you. So, so I guess, like I said, for somebody who is not, uh, you know, what they were passively aware of kingdom hearts, like wh who is this game for? Like other than like just pure enthusiasts for that, that franchise, like what, what, what do you think uh, maybe a, uh, can attract new players to it? I'm always kind of curious about that question with any franchise that's got multiple offerings. Sure. Sure. Um, so the, 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 the first easy answer is if you 
are like me and you've you know grown up with Disney and you are a fan of the Final Fantasy series, um, the, the crossover is it's a, it's such a weird mix that it, it it's kind of fun in how it works. Um, I would say that crossover kind of fades and that the, the Kingdom Hearts specific stuff kind of rises to replace the Final Fantasy stuff. But initially, that was actually what drawn me to it. Um, but from the perspective of you know that aside, if you like like an, a very casual action RPG where, you know, you've got some, some light stats, you've got different gear and you can kind of customize your gear, um, customize your play style. It's not anything as hardcore as like destiny or, or final fantasy 14 or something like that. Um, but it's just kind of a light casual, you know, um, you, you like that RPG action element. Um, it's got that appeal there. Um, it's not like super technical. It's like I said, it's more on the casual side, um, but you know that that's the appeal as well. Um, and also, I think that you know it's the story is convoluted, but there's some interesting stuff in it as well. So if you are looking for something that is more unique, even if it's a bit flawed, um, it has its appeal there. But I think overall, it's it's kind of that if you like that that light casual action RPG combat, or if you like kind of like a very woven, albeit kind of convoluted story, there's some appeal there as well. Um, obviously, the, the lasting appeal is player investment. Like once you're this deep into the into the rabbit hole, you're just going to keep going to see where the hell it ends. That's kind of where where I think almost everyone is. But um, at least in the initial offering, um, that's kind of the direction they're going with the appeal. Okay, no, man, I think that's a pretty good run. Like I said, I'm always kind of interested when we have these, like, long-running series. You know, like, they can't just survive on people that like a previous game. You know, they they're obviously hope to attract new people to it. So that's I'm just always kind of fascinating to see how that kind of works out. Like, what what do you think they're bringing into it new? Yeah, and, and the tough part is, is that because everything that has come out for it is canon, you're kind of expected to have played everything. So it is difficult to penetrate unless you want to start at the beginning. Um, they have re-released them multiple times. You can actually buy the complete the complete series on PS4, like a full remaster of everything they've done. Um, but it's it's an investment to get into it. Um, and, and that's that's the difficult part. Um, with them kind of wrapping it up and starting on a new arc, that might be a better entry point for new players. But I, I honestly think largely the series has survived because of an existing player base that is very dedicated and very interested in what's going on and, and has just stuck with it for over a decade, which is kind of incredible that it's, it's held a player base that long, um, especially with these these very long development times. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. But yeah, no, it was like I said, it was it was a, it was a fun and satisfying game. I wasn't disappointed at all with um, with my purchase. I. I I think I got about 45 hours out of it before um, I completed it, but there's like there's tons of stuff to go back and do, so it's it's got good value for it. And if if you've listened to my reviews, you know that that's important to me is that that you know uh, price per minute kind of value, um, and it was it was it was it was worth it. So um, well, two two things I will say um, that. If you do finish, if you get it and you finish it, make sure you go back and do the battle gates. The battle gates are kind of a post-story thing that opens up. Um, they're kind of like combat challenges. Um, they give you secret reports when you complete them. That's going to kind of add some additional story and lore that's going to kind of tie into what's going to happen moving forward. I'm, I'm working on those right now. Um, and also unlocking the secret movie at the end, um, as it is with all Kingdom Hearts games, is, is definitely worth it. Um, 
how do you do that? It's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, if there's things you photograph throughout the game called uh, lucky emblems, I think they're basically hidden Mickey's. If you're all familiar with Disney's practice of hiding Mickey Mouse shaped heads um, in in their parks, it, it's like that. But in the game world, so you kind of got to look to to find all these things. I think there's 90 in total. Um, and so you have to collect a certain number of those and complete the game. And then the difficulty you complete the game on is determines how many of the emblems you need to get. Um, I did it on proud mode, which is the high, the highest difficulty. You only have to get 30 of them, which isn't too bad, but, um, definitely worth collecting those as you play rather than having to go back and do them later. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's worth getting that secret movie at the end. Um, I think it's, I'm, I'm, I won't spoil anything, of course, but it's, it's intriguing to see, the direction they're going with it. And I can't talk about it because it would absolutely tip off kind of the, the cool factor of it, but it is worth it. And I was, I was not disappointed at all with what they had. So uh, good stuff there, but yeah, so that's kind of my overall thoughts on kingdom hearts three. Um, like I said, it's, it's not a bad game. It's just not the best, but I, it's still worth playing, especially if you are a fan of the series. So I wouldn't let the negative uh, press coverage bother you at all. Um, I think it's definitely worth it. So moving along and speaking of negative press coverage, this is where we're going to let Jay talk about a hot topic this last few weeks uh, with Anthem being released. And uh, it has not been doing well in in the critic circles. I think it's sitting at a 60 on Metacritic. And it is honestly probably one of the most polarized, well, not the most, Fallout 76 might be more polarized, but I think for... It is a very polarizing game in terms of people who really like it and people who absolutely hate Anthem. Um, and so I'm kind of curious to get Jay's thoughts on it because I, whenever I see a super polarized discussion, I don't really believe either side because people tend to, you know, gravitate away from each other when there's conflict. So, um, Jay, I'd like to get your thoughts on what you have experienced in Anthem so far and kind of your thoughts on the press coverage it's getting and if you think that's fair or what they're right about, what they're wrong about, that sort of thing. So what have, what have you been experiencing, experiencing in Anthem so far? Um, okay, so uh, let me, like I said, this is also kind of difficult to unpack, so I'll, let me try to kind of organize this in a couple of ways. One, uh, there are absolutely challenges and problems with the game at launch. In parentheses, the obvious question should be, which launch are you talking about, uh, which we'll get into in a minute. And that's actually part of the big problem. Uh, that being said, I think, uh, so you had some problems at launch uh, or with the rollout. Let's just say with the rollout. And then there's probably a, a concern about what does the quote-unquote end game look like. And end game is, is to some degree a bit user-defined, but what does the end game look like with Anthem? But in between those two things... In between the rollout and the what is the long-term sort of end-game pinnacle activities of the game, there's a whole lot of really good stuff. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, if I were going to say, um, you know, my, my general take on Anthem, it's it's kind of the reverse of the compliment sandwich. It's kind of like the uh, throw shade sandwich. So bad rollout, incredible stuff in between. And then it maybe not a bad end game, but like an undefined end game, so to speak. So the the rollout they, with the variety of different uh, means of accessing the game early is technically an early access, a week early for EA Origins and some folks on PC and Xbox, things like that. You got a version of the game that had some major league technical flaws in it. Uh, a week later, on the quote on the actual worldwide release. 
which is when I started playing it on PS4 on the 22nd, the that, like a huge number of those problems had been fixed with this massive patch that came out. So it's literally a, a case of, boy, if they had delayed that thing by like a week and a half or like everybody, it all came out on the same day, probably a lot of those would have been fixed because you, you, a lot of them you don't just fix overnight, you know what I mean? That Like they probably had been identified in some level and they just had, didn't have them done yet by the time the early access from Origins went out. Uh, that being said, you could also, I think, rightfully say that because there's a lot of heat, like negative heat with the rollout, that created a lot of impetus to, uh, you know, fix bugs at a, you know, incredibly accelerated rate, by the way, and in turn, and a lot of quality of life stuff. So there are, you know, some gameplay mechanics and choices that I don't like, but the core of it in terms of the, the world that they've built, how it works, and just the raw combat experience and the, the free play experience is really, really, really good. There is a lot to work with. Um, so the, the version I played had a lot of the pain points, the technical pain points kind of smoothed out. So like if you go look at uh, a really good example is if you look, look at some of the reviews on YouTube, a lot of them were based on the game that rolled out early, a week early, uh, which is fair because they did put the game out, but that is a very different play experience than somebody like me got on the 22nd. Now, there are some design choices that are kind of rough in terms of um, how it sort of breaks up the missions. So if I were going to give anybody advice, I would say if you want to go through the story, do that predominantly solo, like smash through the story, and then really start trying to figure out how to ma match make with your buddies as much as you can. Uh, because basically you go out, do a mission, do free play, and then there's a lot of loading screens. That's one of the common beasts they did. They did make a lot of them better. They're not gone by any stretch of the imagination, but they're much, 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 much faster in my version than what most people experienced that first week, uh, even on console. So that's a good thing. But you basically do a mission, and then you go back to your single instance. Social, it's not even social space. There is a social space called the hangar that you can go to, and you can do a lot of the, the you know, getting ready for a mission stuff in there. But basically you go back to Fort Tarsus, and you do a lot of your, your story beats and your world story beats in there. It's um, it's really cool. It's pretty well done. There's a lot of people to talk to, but you can easily eat, you know, 15 minutes, you know, at Fort Tarsus, which is sort of their version of the tower, uh, stands other players. Well, that really breaks up the ability to play with your friends, uh, but it is offset by a really, really good matchmaking system uh, that it'll, it'll basically matchmake everything, uh, which is kind of cool. And they're usually pretty good about it. You're only getting like crazy random stuff where you got like a level one guy and a level 15 guy. It's, it's pretty tight. So that really doesn't lend itself to playing with your friends at first when you're trying to go through all the story pieces. Uh, but once you get, get deeper into that, it's, it really does behoove you to have, have friends playing and, and uh, coordinating with each other in combat because that's one, you know, the combat is very satisfying even at the solo level because like I said, you match make and you can do a lot of different things and the builds are just phenomenal. You, you know, if you're into RPG builds and things like that, you can go hog wild in this game. Where it really shines is when you take those builds and you do it in a cooperative fashion with other members of your, your squad. That's really, really exciting. You just do some phenomenal shit. So it, it, it really kind of 
breaks you out of that flow though, the way you have to load in and out of Fort Tarsus. Um, so that, that is a design flaw they need to fix. If, there, if there's two things I think that going forward, they really, really get fixing that. And like I said, in the, the good part of the, uh, the shade throwing sandwich, it would be work on how you flow people in and out of the game. The load screens are probably are what they are in this game until they can really do some different things. But I, it just, it, it kind of detracts from your ability to execute story-based stuff, of which there's really good things in there. Bioware did a pretty good job of building a world and telling a lot of neat story beats in it. It's not a, you know, a KOTOR or, or a Mass Effect style story, but there's a lot in there. I would say it's in a much better shape than uh, like Destiny 1 was when it came out from a story perspective. So again, that's good, but you really got to kind of fight your way through that. And you, you're always, you know, bumping into cutscenes or something like that. And you telling people, hey, knock it off on the mics. I watch a cutscene. It's... It, it could be better. The other piece that I do think in the combat side from a quality of life, they really need to change is uh, the ability to swap your gear. So if you pick up loot in the middle of a mission or a stronghold uh, and it's better loot, you should be able to access your gear and equip that and use it. They made a conscious decision not to do that where you can pick it up and you can see that, hey, I got a common, a rare, uh, you know, epic, legendary or masterwork and you know, whatever the, the flavor is that, you, you know, tier loot you got. And you, so, you know, you got, you got something, but you can't tell what it is until after your mission and it kind of runs it through. I, I really, really, really kind of wish that you could equip whatever that was, or at least look at it and then make a choice to equip it. Um, I believe that they chose not to do that because what they didn't want was people breaking out of a mission once they're like, Hey, I got this, I got the masterwork item that I was grinding for on this particular stronghold. Therefore I'm Audi. So I, I think it was the choice, but ultimately it's just a, a growing quality of life thing that they could probably look at going forward. And I think it would help a lot. And again, it would help you not have to break up the flow of the game. If you just want to go back to the social space, queue for another mission and get going. Um, so my experiences again, so far based on the version of Anthem that I watched or that I've played rather, and, I, and I'm pretty far into, it. I think I'm like level 16 or so. Um, I'm liking it a lot. I love the Iron Man fantasy flying around. I love the RPG, the deep, deep RPG builds. Um, so I'm also very used to these type of games, these looter shooters um, that, you know, they're kind of an investment game. There's a huge grind to them. I, I get that. Um, and I like those kind of games. I mean, should, should I played Destiny for almost five straight years now. Um, that being said, like I see the problems with the game from a technical standpoint, uh, which by the way, to their credit, Bioware is 100% attacking a lot of these problems in great detail and with haste. Uh, Cause I think they realize they have a limited window of time to course correct the narrative of the game, which is, you can argue is kind of already set, but I, I think give it 90 days, there's going to be a hugely different picture of what Anthem is. They just bit, suffered from a really, really, really rough rollout. Um, I could see the core of what could be a phenomenal game in here. They got combat right. They got a lot of stuff right that is really hard to do. Uh, if they can work on a lot of the quality of life stuff around it, it's going to be great. Uh, but like many games of this nature, it, it, they are too amb I, you know, they're very ambitious. And I think you could start to make a case that these ambitious games 
have to learn how to temper people's expectations. And this is going back to your comment earlier, Pokey. Um, everybody will compare Anthem to Dusty that's been out for, you know, going on four years, four and a half years at the time. Uh, Division, which is, you know, you got Division 2 coming out. Uh, you know, multiple other games, you know, Diablo, like anything of this nature, Monster Hunter, they're, they're very, very, very mature games. Every one of those games when they came out, major problems uh, because they are not the game that you have now that you're comparing in your head to uh, your new game Anthem. So I, I think, you know, one could say, well, hey, they shouldn't have released it in that state, X, Y, and Z, it's, or why don't they have more, more in-game stuff spelled I, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. They worked on Anthem for almost six years, and the game has a lot going for it. it there's a lot of things that need to be fixed, but this what this starts to tell me is that everybody's stepped up and taken a big, huge cut at this prop, this game set in terms of that big, huge open-world looter shooter at a AAA quality polish level. A lot of people have stepped up and tried that. Nobody has, has smashed it on the mark on day one. Nobody. So that starts, and by the way, big big name companies too. By the way, so that kind of tells me it's it's maybe there's a component of yeah, there's some problems on their end, granted, but there's also some expectation management we have to do in terms of what's possible. Um, now I'm not taking it. I am not in any way giving Bioware and EA a pass. Let me be very clear. I like I said, there's some clear some things that need to be fixed, but they did get a lot right in this game. There is a ton to work with. And if Bioware, if, if EA does not give up on this game immediately, if they, you know, I don't want to say double down, but if they continue to reinforce biomass or to ERCOT, Bioware, and give them, the, give them the room to work, I think this could be a really, really phenomenal game. Uh, I am really skeptical of what EA's patience level is, though. I think it, I think in this game, in the first 30 days, will be dramatically different than the first week it came out. I think in 60 days, it'll be even more different. I think 90, you'll probably start to see closer to what people thought they were going to get. You know, and they're very high expectations. Um, you know, from from day zero, so to speak. So I think it's going to take them um, 30, 60, 90 to get onto a playing field of where most people thought the game would release at. Uh, I, which, by the way, is faster than a lot of other games get there. But they also have to communicate what is their, you know, what kind of in-game stuff are they going to go for? Because uh, I'm not worried. Everybody's like, hey, they don't have enough cosmetics. They don't have enough this or enough that. In terms of just raw content drops of like, hey, add more strongholds, add more missions, add more, uh, you know, different types of gun skins or add more emotes or add this or add that. They can. Those are all things that can can and will be added. It's very clear. Anthem is designed as a long term investment game. I am not worried about that. Would I like more now? Yeah, absolutely. But that's not what I'm worried about. I'm much more worried about quality of life, uh, things that need to get fixed that uh, impact the enjoyment of the game and the flow of the game. Those are harder problems. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind they've got already got people working on big missions and free play stuff and strongholds and other cosmetics. They already have people working on that without a doubt. I'm I'm not worried about that part. I am more concerned about, hey, let's get it where people just enjoy playing the game minute to minute every time. And even in the really negative reviews, a lot of what you'll find is a lot of people will say, hey, the game looks great, the game sounds great, 
There's a huge story world here that you can work with, and the combat is really, really good. Uh, a lot of people beef about the gunplay. The gunplay is actually not bad for third person over the shoulder view. And again, this game is really more about using your abilities in conjunction with your teammates or your or how you set your build up. It's not about really snappy, crisp gunplay that you see in something like uh, in, in like a Bungie product or an Activision product. Um, or Titanfall, for example. Uh, that's certainly a component, and don't get me wrong, the gunplay's not bad, but that's not really the focal point of the game, whereas in a game like Destiny, the guns are a big part of the focal point of the game. So I think, ton to work with here, but again, it's like that you know shade sandwich. Really rough rollout. They are going to fight like hell to, to get out of that or get you more interested and invested in the combat and the world, which those two things are the, by far the biggest strengths of the game. But they've got, but they also have to communicate more about the end game and sort of solidify that with the audience that I think is still hang, hanging with them right now. Um, because I think people recognize how much work they're putting into course correcting. And I think that's buying them some margin to, to work with, but it, that's pretty finite. So I think that's my, my overall kind of thoughts. Uh, I'm playing mostly a, uh, a Storm, uh, Storm Javelin. Really, really enjoy that game. All of the javelins, all of the javelins feel dramatically different. They have really, really different play styles. And then in addition to that, you can spec them in wildly different ways inside those play styles. So that's one of the things I love doing. I'm super stoked to like max out, master work out like the storm and then dive into the ranger, dive into the colossus, dive into the, uh, the interceptor. Uh, I, I, I am very much looking forward to that, that deep customization experience and build experience. That to me is a lot of fun. Uh, and, and, and you can get into some pretty high difficulty tiers too, by the way, really, really quick. When you get into the easy, normal, hard, and there's Grandmaster 1, 2, and 3, uh, you mess around with like Grandmaster 1, and I'm, I am not leveled well at all for that. I got shredded um, to the point where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just backing out. This is not going to work. A hard mode stronghold uh, tyrant mine is is tough. Uh, you can do it pretty quick though. It's a very efficient run. It's basically kind of like a destiny strike, uh, more or less from a content standpoint. Particularly if you over level it. If you under level it, it can be a motherfucker. So you can very quickly change your your outcome of your game time by the difficulty level. And they've got six difficulty levels. So it's really, really cool that you can kind of customize that. And I got news for you. If you get into those Grandmaster 2 and 3, you had best be max level and rocking not just the, um, the legendary and masterwork gear, but it's got to be the right roles on those gear too. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have a long fucking session. So I, I like that about the game. It's like a positive grind almost. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Is that... Is that you know, does that kind of resonate with you? No, no. I mean, that, that sounds, that makes sense to me. I mean, it overall, I mean, this is my kind of take on just seeing the whole spectrum. It honestly seems like almost everyone kind of agrees with each other. It's just a matter of how much the flaws bother the person or how much people like the good parts of the game. And it seems like if, you know, if loading screens are the thing that make you hate life, 
then this is going to be a problem for you. But if you are, you know, really big on the customization and all that stuff, then you're, you're going to really like this, you know? Um, so I, I think people mostly agree with each other. It just kind of comes down to a lot of personal preference. That's kind of my interpretation. It's kind of what I'm getting from what you're saying as well, that it, it depends on what's important to you and, and what's going to bother you. And, and that's going to kind of determine what your enjoyment of this title is. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. Uh, it is, uh, it's pretty solid. Uh, that, that I, I like it. I'm enjoying a lot of it. it. It's really a fun game for me to play. Um, but like I said, I, I 100% get the problems with it. So I'm not, I'm certainly not apologizing for it. What I would say is this is going to be a really different game in, you know, like I said, 30 days out to six months and beyond uh, if they will, if EA will stick with it. Um, the market is just rife for these kind of examples, you know, like Ghost Recon, Rainbow Siege, anything Ubisoft makes basically uh, has started out horrible for about a year and it becomes an entirely different game. You know, um, you know, people that like like to use Warframe as an example of a looter shooter you've done well in its free play, free play. Right, and Warframes have been out for a ridiculously long time. Uh, and, and, and it was not, the Warframe of today is not what it was when it came out, because I've played both versions, not even remotely close. So I, I guess, I, because I, I have a much more patient view of it, uh, I acknowledge that that's not always how the customer base operates or how the gaming base operates. So I, I would encourage people to take a look. If you're into looter shooters and you're into that sci-fi deep world building kind of jazz, um, that RP, that deep RPG build and grind experience, I, I would encourage you to check this game out. Um, I will say this though, if you want to make a decision like, Hey, 60 bucks is a lot of, a lot of money for, for a game that you don't, you're not confident you're going to like, it's okay, I would wait until the end of March or April, like wait a month or so. Let them get another couple patches in there and then jump in. I think that's a very safe and sound answer. Um, I, I, and I don't, don't have a problem recommending that as just, you know, as a safe answer on it. Uh, I do think I would, I would 100% keep this game on your radar. I, you know, I would feel confident recommending it to like you pokey uh for you to jump in because i kind of know which the kind of type of games you like the rpg kind of part of it and the build part of it you would dig into with just you'd be clawing through that part of it um there's a lot in there to offer what right now where i see the game is i'm going to play anthem i'm going to max out anthem in terms of you know get you know finish the story get to level 30 i'll probably you know and i'm gonna it's gonna be on rotation so like uh season of the drifter comes out in destiny here, here in a little bit, a couple weeks, a couple, three weeks. So I'm going to probably max out Anthem between now and then. And then I'm going to take a break, play some Destiny. And by that time, you probably have, you know, give that, give that, give that about a week or two of, of real hard press. And then you're probably going to be back to, okay, the next big patch and some new content is out for Anthem. And so I, I will probably foreseeably have them in kind of a rotation, which I think is kind of okay. I, I think that's fine to do that unless, you're, you know, you're like a super deep completionist or hobbyist for a given game. Um, and, and I'll be frank with you. I don't think it's a destiny killer. I, I don't think that's, that's not what I'm about to say, but I could see becoming as invested in Anthem as I have been in destiny. I could hundred percent see that. Um, if they continue on the trajectory of, you know, working on the game that they're, that I think that they, they want to be on. Um, there's a lot of really good games out there that vie for your time and, and you have to make time choices 
which is a hundred percent okay. Uh, I I think there's enough in Anthem that I would encourage, you know, like I said, that kind of certain audience to really dig into. But I would encourage everybody keep it on your radar uh, and just kind of check in with it every once in a while, uh, even if you're not sure about it. So, like, if you gave it a month, gave it or six months or whatever, it, you'd probably come back to a wildly different game. But yeah, if you're an RPG guy, you're for you looter shooter person, or you kind of like that that super deep art, you know, kind of build build your own adventure or build your character uh, style activity. This definitely has some potential for you. And like I said, the combat, third person, the third person combat, the flying part, the verticality, the the physical map and the worlds they built, baller, absolutely baller. Um, ton of good options in here. Uh, so it's one of those where I hope other games are watching this in a good way. Like, I want Anthem to be good. I want Destiny to be good. I want Division to be good. I want all of them to be good uh, because they will ultimately they'll, they'll feed off each other and make each other better over time. Uh, so that's I, I'd say that's probably where I'm at on Anthem. So I, I do recommend if you're into those type of games, it, it's probably worth your time now that the, the quote-unquote day one patch is out. Uh, and by the way, they just dropped another patch, I think, yesterday. Um, so they're they are attacking the problems that people are identifying with the game very, you know, with a lot of gusto right now. So I think it's worth people's time if you're really into that game game style. But it's certainly worth uh, keeping it on your radar and maybe maybe jumping into it here uh, in the near future. Did you see the uh, roadmap coming out in, in like 90 days or whatever? Yeah, doing? I did. And that's where people get in-game questions at is they're not sure – what does the end game look like in there? Uh, because they don't really talk about what a cataclysm is. Is that the raid? Is that like a Diablo rift run? You know, it's just, it's not clear. Um, and they're not really communicating on it. Cause I think they're more focused on trying to, trying to work with the audience on fixing the immediate problems. Yeah. I mean, I almost kind of just, just cause people were kind of frustrated, like, wait, it's me 90 days and that's all we're getting. It, it it almost feels a bit like Destiny Two when it launched. It was it was rocky, and it was like, well, here's what we had planned, and it was Curse of Osiris and, and Warmind, and they're like, you're probably not going to like it because you know it's going to take us a while to get this going in the direction that that you're asking for. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Anthem kind of takes a similar a similar path where it, it it takes a while for them to kind of get it going in the direction people are feeling more comfortable with it. You know, maybe in six months, a year, it's 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 kicking ass like you know, Destiny Two did with Forsaken. You know, it was it came back. It was like, holy shit, this is this is really good. You know, um, and I think Anthem will very likely follow a similar path where it'll it, it might start off kind of rocky and remain a little rocky for a lot of people, and then probably kick up um, and, and probably turn into a really solid game, uh, assuming EA sticks with it. And I think that's probably a valid concern because I mean when. When Mass Effect Andromeda flopped, EA pretty much like five one four it and just said, "Okay, we got like three dudes working on it to kind of wrap it up, and uh, yeah, we're done with that." They didn't touch it ever ever again. Um, I think that's that's a fear that people have with Anthem. I I don't think it's going to happen. I think that this is probably more of an investment than than uh, something they're willing to walk away from. But I think it is also, you know, a, a, a potential, um, even if it's unlikely. Yeah, no, I think that's a good assessment. But yeah, I, I like so for me, it's a good game. I, like I, Pokey, for you, I'd probably recommend checking it out. Um, I, I think I'm pretty pretty confident in that. But uh, you definitely got to be willing to grow with the game a little bit. And I think that's about all I had on on Anthem. Is there anything else you want to talk about, man? 
No, I th- I'm pretty good. I think that's, that's a pretty good list of topics there. So I think I'm good to wrap this up if you guys are. Sounds good. All right. So let's do shout outs. Um, my shout out will probably go to uh, uh, Reggie from Nintendo of America. Um, he is retiring. He's been the face of um, Nintendo of America for God, like a decade. But uh, he's he's finally stepping down. And he is being replaced by Bowser. Yeah, yeah literally the, the guy that's that's replacing him, his last name is actually Bowser. Um, which is amazing. And if you see the, do you see the video that he made sell like saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be taking over. He literally has a Mario and Luigi stuffed dolls tied up, hanging in the background, just kind of nonchalantly <laughs> on the shelf. That's great. Um, so it's, they're, they're having fun with it. And I, I think it's, it's great, but you know, shout out to Reggie, you know, he's, he is the dorkiest looking guy I've ever seen, but I think it, it, it suited what they were, what they were doing there. So that was good. So shout out to him. Uh, Zell, you're up. I will give my shout out to a news item that we will surely talk about next week is um, because it started during they announced during the show. There is a new Overwatch hero that was announced like less than an hour ago called Baptiste, who is a healer. So that that's my my closing note. All right. And Jake, Um, I don't have a whole lot of shout outs. I'm kind of channeling my inner Zell right now, Uh, but uh, would like to give a shout out to uh, the girl working the the little coffee uh, coffee bar that's across the street from me in my uh, Airbnb, uh, the Medici. Really, really nice place in Austin. Highly recommend you check it out. She makes a phenomenal uh, like hazelnut latte, uh, a little bit of sprig of you know kind of mint on top. It's actually really good. I'm I'm actually really interested that you have an inner Zell. It's very small. It's 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 basically uh, vestigial at this point. Uh, but I have to really, you know, dig down to find it. I'm having this vision of uh, like Total Recall, and like Jay lifts up his shirt, and there's this like Zell face growing out of his stomach. Um, it's actually kind of terrifying. All right, that's our show, guys. Uh, if you want to be in the show or have any topics you want us to cover, do hit us up on biomass.net in the contact tab and give us a ring. Uh, but that being said, thanks for listening. Have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Bye.